dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh, our Elohim, and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity this, to this present day. This goal was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, in the state of Ohio in the year 1931. We were incorporated in the state of California in the year 1958. We hold classes in the United States, Canada, and certain other foreign countries. The Madison branch was established in 1987. In this goal, we can true, correct, and original name and title of the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The true name of the Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The true title of the word or son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. The name of the Holy Spirit manifested in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles and not names. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. That means Elohim is a title that our creator chose for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. A minor investigation on your part in a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew language, the Greek language, nor the Latin language have any characters or letters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that is made by this letter J. Neither was there a letter J in the English language until some 1400 years after the Messiah's death. Therefore, such names as Jesus and Jehovah are impossible renderings of the true and original name of our Father and His Son. Christ is a title, just like Lord and God. Yahweh is pure spirit. And in this state, he is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and bounds of everything. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud to symbolize himself because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We have drawn the cloud all around the edges of this chart to show you that everything on this chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh, knowing that man could not perceive of him in this pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Elohim. This is the word or son, a superincorporeal being that is having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. This form could only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelation. Later on, this self-same spirit manifested himself in a physical body and walked the earth plane as Yahshua the Messiah, whom the world calls Jesus Christ. Now there is only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question that we should ask ourselves is, what was the name of the Savior during the time he walked the earth plane? A further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface of the Holy Name Bible. Also at this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It is called the divine pattern because it is Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he called Moses atop Mount Sinai. 
and showed him the tabernacle pattern and a vision. Yahweh instructed Moses to build one exactly like it in the wilderness of Sinai. The pattern consists of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and operates according to the structure and function of this threefold tabernacle pattern, that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. Our primary constitutional aims and objectives of the Institute are as follows. First, help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and actually exists. Second, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah, without distinction of race or nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Third, to investigate the unexplained spirit law, or so-called law of nature, and the powers latent in man. Fourth, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, and modern practical and occult science. Fifth, to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Sixth, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seventh, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eighth, to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith, which is once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Ninth, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained, there is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua the Messiah. Tenth, to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of mortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace and our slogan is speak the truth. Our scripture this evening will be John, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 39, reading through to the end. And we will ask Dr. Delilah Tucker of the Madison, Wisconsin branch to read that for us. And if we could have the class dedicated in prayer by Dr. Gail Josephson of the Green Bay, Wisconsin branch. Thank you. Let's all bow our hearts and our minds unto Yeshua. Yeshua, thank you for gathering us together in your name so that we can learn something of you. Please let us um, keep our mind on you, um, especially during these next two hours, so that we can learn something about your eternal purpose, pattern, and plan. And let us see the love that you show us in the creation and in the speakers and in our brethren. And please keep us in the faith. We ask, I ask this in your name. Let's all say hallelujah. 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 <clears throat> okay, I'll be reading John 539 through the end. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, 
but I know you, that ye have not the love of Yahweh in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one from another, and seek not the honor that cometh from Yahweh only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Our scripture readers this evening will please be Dr. Kelly Gagno of the Mattis, Wisconsin branch and Dr. Michael Josephson of the Green Bay, Wisconsin branch. I would like to extend a warm welcome to everyone joining us this evening. I am unsure if we have any returning or first time visitors. We tonight. have returning visitors that are here. Okay, welcome. A quick reminder that we are streaming live to YouTube this evening and we'll begin class with a three speaker format with each speaker receiving about 35 minutes. And with that, our, our first speaker will please be Dr. Karen Daniel of Madison, Wisconsin. We're gonna switch that, I'm sorry. Oh, um, okay. The first speaker will be Andy Burkhotterin, the Dean of the Green Bay, Wisconsin branch. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Okay. Uh, is it two speaker or three speaker? Um, two, I guess. Two speaker? Okay. I just wanted to know so I knew how to pace myself. First of all, I want to say hello to everybody. Um, give a little testimony about myself. I came into class a little over 40 years ago. Um, I was uh, about 20, 19, 20 years old, and my brother was into something which um, kind of made my parents a little bit alarmed. So I went to this teaching for my first time, and, and I thought I knew something about God, and I, I really thought I knew something about Jesus. But since I've come to this class, I realized that everything I thought I knew was not right. And just starting with the names, I called him Jesus, but really his name was Yahshua. I never knew. Nobody ever told me there was no J in Greek, Hebrew, or Latin languages. Nobody told me that. And when I heard that for my first time, it blew my mind. Same thing with the name of the creator. I thought God's name was God. You know, there's even a movie about, you know, God had a business card said God on it, you know, and, uh, with George Burns and uh, um, with the cigar and so forth. But Anyway, I did not know the name of the creator was Yahweh. And when I heard that for my first time, I was totally blown away. Totally caught me off guard. So what I did is I went to the Brown County Library in Green Bay. And I looked in Encyclopedia Britannica, Judaica, Man, Myth, and Magic. And every one of them confirmed that that was all true. So it definitely got my attention and made me want to come back. Um, so when I came back, I, I've heard many other lectures, uh, one being the tabernacle pattern, which I think was covered, showing how this pattern in your Bible was written 
1500 years before the Messiah and we're in 2000 something now. So basically 3500 years ago, there's a pattern in your Bible that sells three parts to a cell, three parts to the tabernacle, three parts to an atom, three parts to the tabernacle. And it just went on and on and on showing forth how everything in creation was made by this pattern. And the thing that really got my attention is, is caused me to realize that there was really already that was something special. But the thing that really caught my eye was um, what Yahshua was doing. Now, I believed in Jesus, but if you were to ask me why, why did I believe in Jesus? I would have told you it's because that's what I was taught in church. And my preacher told me that Jesus was the Savior and Jesus did this and Jesus did that. And if I wanted to, you know, challenge the preacher, why do you, why do you believe in Jesus? He would have brought me to the New Testament. And we would have started reading in the book of Matthew and the book of uh, Mark and Luke and John, and those they called them the Gospels. And everywhere that the letters were in red, it's where Jesus was talking. But, you know, I could read that information, but I couldn't tell you um, really in reality what it was all about. Now, and just, just to kind of show you what I'm talking about is, is I could have read in the Bible and it said that Jesus is the Lamb of God. But if you would have asked me why he's a lamb, I would have told you, well, he's humble, he's meek. Um, he wore a white gown, and but I couldn't really go much deeper than that. And I thought I knew something about Jesus. And if you would ask me why did he have 12 disciples, I could have told you he had 12 disciples. I could read it in the Bible that he had 12 disciples, but why did he have 12 disciples? I couldn't tell you why. You know, why did he um, have a crown of thorns on his head? Uh, you know, why was he crucified? And, you know, and, and why did it get dark um, when he was on the cross? And, you know, all these things that I just didn't have a real answer to the reason why. Now, if you look up the word why, could somebody do that for me, please? Why in a dictionary, W-H-Y. I have it unless someone else does. Go ahead, Michelle. The cause, reason, or purpose. Now the word why means for what cause or for what reason or for what purpose. Now, if, if I were telling you that Jesus, and really I'm going to use Yahshua from here on out, is the lamb, of God. Uh, let's get that. Uh, Behold the Lamb of Yahweh, which takes away the sins of the world. That's uh, uh, John 1 and 29. John 1 and 29. The next day, John seeth Yahshua coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of Yahweh, which taketh away the sins of the world. Okay. So then the question is, why was Yahshua a lamb? For what purpose was he a lamb? For what reason was he a lamb? For what cause was he a lamb? And, and the thing is, we could take everything Yahshua did, 
from all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we could ask those same questions. And to tell you, I could have just told you that he did it, but I couldn't have gave, given you a really good answer as to the reason why, or the cause, or, or for what the purpose was. Now, we had a scripture reading starting at verse 39. What I would like to do is just read a little bit before that. I want to go to Matt, uh, John 5 and 31. And we'll work with this. I want to make sure I take a, a, a slow enough pace, but I want to make sure I get out some good information so you can see the difference between what we tell you about Yahshua and what, what we might have known about the Savior before we came to class. So you can see the difference uh, in, the, in, the, in the understanding. Go ahead and read John 5.31. It's the Messiah speaking. It's in red letters. Go ahead. John 5 and 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Okay, now I'm going to stop there. This is the Messiah speaking. So here's the Savior of the world, the Messiah, Yahshua. And he changed water into wine. He walked on water. He, he, you know, he caused Lazarus to come up out of the tomb after he was dead for four days. And if he tells you himself that he's the Messiah... That doesn't make it true. I can tell you I'm the fastest runner in the city of Green Bay. But that doesn't make it true unless I get in a race against the best in the city of Green Bay and prove it. I can say anything, you know, and the same thing. Just because the Messiah says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Go ahead and keep reading. There is another that bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now he's talking about John the Baptist. Now we just read where John the Baptist saw Yahshua and he says, Behold the Lamb of Yahweh, which takes away the, way the sin of the world. Does that make it true now because John said he was? What does Yahshua say about that? Keep reading. You sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man. He doesn't receive a testimony from man. So in other words, I can tell you, I'm the fastest runner in the city of Green Bay. And Steve could say in Madison, uh, yeah, he is. You know, but you don't know if I paid him off or, uh, but really Steve would say I'm not because I'm not. I can beat him in a race. What's that? I can beat you in a race. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> But anyway, you see what I'm saying? Just because John is also saying that he's the lamb, that still doesn't make it true because Yahshua does not receive testimony from a man. So when you read Matthew, the book of Matthew, it's Matthew writing about his experiences. And when you read the book of Mark, it's Mark reading about his experiences and Luke and John and so forth. They're all men just writing about their experiences and what they uh, saw with Yahshua. But he doesn't receive testimony of man. Uh, but go ahead and read. But these things I say that you might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. It's talking about John the Baptist. He had a following. There were as many people over by, uh, following him during the time of Yahshua's baptism before Yahshua came to him. Go ahead and read. 
But I have greater witness than that of John. But I have greater witness than that of John, Yahshua saying, read. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So it's the thing Yahshua is doing. That's what's bearing witness of him. It's not just because John said it or Matthew said it or Mark said it. Now, the thing is, just to show you the difference of what we're talking about, I have a flyer. And it's a flyer. It's called It's All Relative. And I don't know if my camera's on. I'll see if I can show it to you. I don't know if you can see the picture or not. But it's a little flyer. And it's called It's All Relative. It's put out by a Christian organization. And it has something in there. It's about it's a, it's a, it's someone who believes in Jesus and someone who doesn't believe are having a conversation. And when it comes towards the end of this, um, the one person that doesn't believe said to the believer, "How do we know that he really rose from the dead?" And the answer was the same people who saw Jesus live and die also saw him rose again. So basically what we're reading here is the testimony that they're giving you that you should believe is nothing more than a testimony of man. And the reason why we just accept it because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all said it, but Yahshua doesn't receive testimony from men. He didn't take John the Baptist's testimony. He, he doesn't receive testimony of man because Yahshua has greater witnesses than that of man. Read 36 again, please. Or read 36 and keep going, sorry. But I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Mm -hmm. The Father himself which has sent me has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Mm -hmm. And you have not his word abiding in you. Mm -hmm. He hath sent him, you believe not. Okay, keep reading. Okay, search the scriptures. Now this is where the scripture reading started tonight. It says, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now, if you would have asked me before I came to class 40 years ago, when Yahshua was talking here to search the scriptures, what I thought he was talking about, I would have said, well, where Jesus is written about. He's written about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you want to read about the Messiah, you open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the bottom line is, when Yahshua was making this statement, Search the scriptures. Matthew wasn't written yet. John wasn't written yet. Mark wasn't written. He's speaking that John's writing this well after the fact when the Messiah made that statement. So it's an impossibility for the Messiah to be telling them to search Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when he said search the scriptures because they haven't been written yet. They just didn't exist, those writings, until many, many years later. And you read those accounts. But now Yahshua says he has greater witnesses than that of John. And he says, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. 
And there they would what? Testify of you. The scriptures testify of Yahshua. We're going to get into that. Keep reading. And you will not come to me that you might have life. I receive not honor from men, mm -hmm. but tell you that you have not the love of Yahweh in you. Mm -hmm. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If a mm -hmm. shall come in his own name, him you will receive. Yeah, uh, and that's that's a testimony, but I don't want to get into that. Go ahead, a prophecy. Keep reading. Forty-four. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from Yahweh only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. So now when Yahshua's talking about there's going to be one that accuses you, it's talking about Moses. And Moses is 1,500 years before Yahshua came on the scene. 1,500 years before that, Moses is existing. And he said, keep reading. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Now, Yahshua's saying, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, because Moses wrote about me. Now, here's Moses. Now, when I'm talking about Moses, if you take your Bible, your Bible is basically broken down into three sections. You have the law, the prophets, and then you have the fulfillment. Now, the law is the first five books in the Bible. The word Bible means books. The New Testament reality are letters uh, uh, that the believing apostles are, uh, wrote uh, to record things and also sending to other uh, uh, schools that were of that time that had an understanding of Yahshua. Those were letters. The Bible means books. Now, if you look at the first five books of your Bible, now, um, somebody have the book of Genesis open on the first page. Now, I want somebody to tell me, what does it say on the top of the page of the book of Genesis? I have it. The first book of Moses called Genesis. So Moses wrote about Yahshua. And the first book he has in your Bible is Genesis. Now, what does it say for Exodus, first page? The second book of Moses called Exodus. So Moses is writing about in Exodus. He's writing Leviticus. He's writing Numbers and Deuteronomy. Those first five books in your Bible, you're going to see the same thing at the top of the page. The first book, the second book, the third book, the fourth book, and the fifth book of Moses. Those are the law. For had you believed Moses, you'd believe me. So we have to go back in the writings of Moses and find examples to prove that Yahshua is who he said he was. Not just because Matthew said it, Mark said it, Luke and John said it. Now, the second part of your Bible is the book that follows is the book of Joshua. And that book goes, uh, and the rest of the books after that is Joshua all the way to Malachi. There's 34 more books there, making a total of 39 books or Bible. Uh, Bible means books in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, and that's another whole topic. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, which is uh, the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the uh, stuff after that, you know, Acts and Romans and Corinthians, all the way down to the book of Revelation. 
those are part of the fulfillment. So you have the three parts of your Bible. Now, Moses, he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now, at that time, the only writings they had was the Old Testament. They had the books of Moses, and they had the prophets is what they had. Now, let's go get another example. Um, let's get Luke uh, 24 and 25 through 27. And before that, I want to get um, John 1.45. Because when they read that Old Testament, they knew that Old Testament was pointing something out, was pointing out the Messiah. They knew that book was written to point out the Savior when he comes. They knew that much. And let's get John 1.45, and we'll get some an example of the backing up what I just said. Get John 145, please. John 145. Philip find Nathanael and say, said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. So here's Philip finding Nathanael, and he's got to be pretty excited about it. He says, We found him. We found him in whom Moses in the law. And prophets did write. Now, Yahshua said Moses wrote about it. Is that right? So now here's Philip finding Nathaniel and saying, we found the one who Moses and the law and prophets did write. He's excited about it. So they knew that Old Testament was pointing uh, out the Savior, Yahshua. Now give me the one I called for Luke. Uh, 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 Luke. 24, 25 through 27. Luke, Luke 24, 25. And he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, what's going on here is this is right after Yahshua was put on the cross and he was crucified. And then he's on the road with these men that were all bummed out and they didn't recognize who Yahshua was. And now this is what Yahshua was saying to them because they didn't recognize him. And this is after he went through his death, burial, and he, and he rose. What is he saying to them? Read. Ought not the Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Mm -hmm. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he started explaining, hey, wasn't I supposed to suffer these things? And beginning at Matthew, and beginning at Mark, Luke, no. and John. No. But that's what we do in our churches. But that's not what Yahshua, that's not how Yahshua taught. Yahshua did not teach that way. Never taught anyone about himself out of the out of the New Testament. He taught about himself out of the Old Testament. And he began at Moses and the prophets and some of the scriptures. Is that what it says? Some of the scriptures? No. It's all the scriptures. That's it. So when Yahshua says search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, he's not talking about the New Testament because that's not the scriptures they had when Yahshua was walking around. Now, 
Um, is there any more there, Mike? Keep, keep, I think reading, that's keep reading where you are to 27. Okay. Uh, not the Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, is that it? Now, now drop down to verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake with you, spake with you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So now Yahshua is saying that all the things that are written in Moses in the law and then the prophets have to be fulfilled, which are concerning him. So in other words, Yash was saying that he has to fulfill those things that are written in the law and written in the prophets. Now, um, keep reading. Then he opened their understanding. Okay. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So in other words, it took Yahshua to open their understanding to be able to understand the scriptures. And it's the same thing with us coming down the class. The only reason we understand the scriptures and how they point out Yahshua is because Yahshua has also opened our understanding on how that works. Now, now Paul, there's another person, uh, Paul. Uh, this is uh, one who was persecuting uh, um, Yahshua's uh, and he's trying to persuade people concerning Yahshua. Get Acts 28, uh, verses 22 and 23. Let's see how Paul persuades. Now, this is in your New Testament. Let's just see how uh, Paul persuades people. Uh, pick that up, please. Acts 28, 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of Yahweh, persuading them concerning Yahshua, both out of the law of Moses. As in, out of Matthew. <laughs> out of the law of Moses. It must have been out of Luke then. Out of the law of Moses and out of the out prophets. Out of the law of Moses. Read. And out of the prophets. And out of the, now finally, John. The book of John. No, <laughs> no prophet. the prophets. Read. From morning till evening. From morning to evening. There was so much information that Paul had to be able to persuade people about Yahshua out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. He did it from morning until evening. You know, mm -hmm. that's a lot. And I would dare to say there was more than what Paul said. Now, and I said that we know that the scriptures testify of him. And I said that the Messiah was a lamb. And I said, well, why was he a lamb? Well, let's just go back to the law of Moses and let's just read about a lamb. So let's get Exodus, the 12th chapter, because that's what Yahshua said to do, right? Now, I know we've never heard anything like this in our upbringing because I was never taught this. And I went to Catholicism, the Catholic Church, for many years. And then I went to the Lutheran Church with my grandma and I was confirmed Methodist. And I've never heard anything like this until I came to this class. You, I would have never been able to break into these things. So we're telling you for what reason 
and why Yahshua is the lamb. Let's just go back into the law on Exodus, the 12th chapter, and let's read about this lamb. Go ahead, uh, please. Exodus 12 and 1. Yep, perfect. And Yahweh spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. Mm -hmm. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak it sounds like they're talking about a specific month, and this is going to be the first month, and all this type of stuff. Keep reading. Three. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Now, and now I'm just going to point out main things. They're told to take out a lamb. Did anyone in your churches ever tell you that that lamb had significance pertaining to Yahshua? Never. No. If you're honest. No. Keep reading. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Now yes. this lamb is for the souls. Now isn't he actually pointed out as being a lamb? And he, isn't he for the souls of mankind? Mm -hmm. At first the house of Israel, a lamb for a house, mm -hmm. and then later for the Gentiles? But go ahead and read. Take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Mm -hmm. The lamb shall be without blemish. A male. Now, the lamb couldn't have any problems. We couldn't have any blemishes. In other words, you couldn't just take the one that was had a, lost its leg on the field, or you couldn't take the one that had a bad eye. You had this lamb had to be without blemish. It had to be a, a good lamb. Read. A male of the first year. It had to be a male. Well, why did it have to be a male? Why couldn't it be a female? Why, why does it have to be of the first year? These are questions I never thought to ask. When, when I was reading this before I ever attended a class 40 years ago, I would have read over this just thinking it's talking about the Passover feast. But keep reading. It's going to be a lamb. The lamb couldn't have any blemish. The lamb has to be a male. Read. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. So and they had to take it out in the tent, and they had to hold that lamb over for four days, and they mm -hmm. had to offer it up at the 14th or the fourth after four-day layover. Read. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now, just not some of them. It says the whole assembly had to kill this lamb in the evening, which is the time of night. Read. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Mm -hmm. So and they have to take the blood of the lamb and strike it on the door, the two side posts, the upper post, and, and so on. Go ahead and read. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with mm -hmm. herbs they shall eat it. They had to eat it with bitter herbs. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water. 
But and now drop down to uh, 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 verse 10 and then get me verse 46, because we don't have time to read everything. This is a school, you read above and below and between and all this type of stuff after. We just have to save time. So we have so many things we want to share, but go ahead and read those two other ones I called for. 10, and you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. Mm -hmm. And that which remains of it until the morning, you shall burn with fire. Okay. Um, and Verse 46. 46. 46. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou mm -hmm. shalt carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house. Neither shall you break a bone thereof. Okay. So now we just learned some details about a lamb. It had to be a lamb. It had to be a male. It couldn't have any spot or blemish. The whole assembly is going to kill it, and it has to be killed in the evening. They're going to put the lamb's blood on the door, and they're going to eat it with bitter herbs, and you can't break any bones of this lamb. Is that right? So now when you look at Yahshua's being pointed out as the lamb, well, first of all, there's a reason why Yahshua's being called the lamb. Now what would happen to the lamb back in the law? That lamb was going to be offered up as a sacrifice, right? So now if we get Isaiah 53 and 7, because it said in the beginning on Moses and all the prophets, now Isaiah is one of the prophets. Now somebody might think, well, well, isn't Moses a testimony of a man? Everything Moses wrote about, he got from Yahweh direct in a vision on top of Mount Sinai. That's why it's the first book of Moses called Genesis. He saw that information from Yahweh, and he wrote it in a book. Now, we don't have time to get all those types of things. Now, Isaiah also had a vision. It says the word of, of Yahweh came to Isaiah in a vision, saying, so everything the prophet Isaiah is saying is a result of what Yahshua, or what Yahweh had told Isaiah what to say. Now, the reason I'm saying that is it's different than, it's the greater witness, and it's different than just taking a man's word for it, he says, I received not testimony of a man. Let's just get 2 Peter 1 and 20 and 21 first, just to show you there's a difference between the writings of Moses and the prophets than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go ahead and get 2 Peter 1 and 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that the prophecy of the scripture is not of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old times by the will of men. But so in other words, it was not the will of Moses to put those books in writing. It was the will of Yahweh that did that. It was not the will of Isaiah. It was the will of Yahweh that put those things in process. Keep reading. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of Yahweh spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that's, and that's what happened. Now, now we'll go back uh, and get, uh, now we already have the lamb in the law. Now we'll get the lamb and the prophets, Isaiah 53 and 7. Isaiah 53 and 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. So you can clearly see that it's talking about a lamb being brought to the slaughter here 
in Isaiah. Isn't that the same thing that happened to that lamb in Exodus? Wasn't it brought to the slaughter? And it said that he was a lamb brought to the slaughter. Didn't it say he? It didn't say she there, did it? No. And that lamb had to be what? A male. So not only is it a lamb, but it was a male. It says he had to, he was as a lamb brought to the slaughter, right? So now when John, in John 1, 29, read that in the fulfillment. John 1, 29. The next day, John sees Yahshua coming onto him and says, Behold the Lamb of Yahweh, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now John had a vision. And he also had the Holy Spirit. And he points out Yahshua when Yahshua comes to be baptized of him. And he says, behold the Lamb of Yahweh, which takes away the sins of the world. Now, now you know why John's pointing him out as being a lamb. Now you know what the cause is. Now you know what the reason is. Now you know why Yahshua is saying, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, for had you believed Moses, you believe me. Because what? He wrote about me. Well, Moses wrote about a lamb back there in Egypt. Isaiah wrote about a lamb. So here comes Yahshua. He's the lamb. So Philip finds Nathaniel and says, behold, we found him who the law of Moses and the prophets did right. See, now, I've never seen anyone put that together like that before I came to class in all my upbringing. And that's just the lamb. But can go deeper than that. You know, but in the reality of it, nobody else can be the lamb. Now, let's get, uh, I'll, I'll just prove that. Uh, give me 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. Because I'm going to take it a step further. And I'm going to tell you why Moses is writing about a lamb. And I'm going to tell you why Isaiah is. And I'm telling you why Yahshua is. I'm going to even go deeper, back into uh, a deeper cause of it. Give me the scripture I called for, please. Peter 1 and 19. Yes. But with the precious blood of Yahshua, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So here's the precious blood of Yahshua, as of a lamb without spot. Now, in that lamb had to be no spot there at the time of Egypt, or was Moses? With the precious blood of Yahshua, as of a lamb, without spot. Read. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. But was so Yahshua was foreordained to be that lamb with his precious blood, without spot, before the foundation of the world. So in reality, the reason why there's a lamb in the law and the reason there's a lamb in the prophets is because it was foreordained before the foundation of the world that that was going to be so. So when Yahshua comes in to fulfill the law and the prophets, you know why, for what reason, and what cause Yahshua is the lamb. Now, we already said the male. Now, we already gotten a prophet said he was a male, correct? Now, we know that in the, pro in the fulfillment, Yahshua is referred to as a son, not a daughter. He's a son, which is a male. So here's the other thing. No one else can be the, the male. Because in reality, Yahshua's our husband. Just like Yahweh was a husband unto the children of Israel, no one else can be, uh, and everyone else, all the children of Israel are female, and Yahweh's the husband. And we can read about that in Jeremiah 
31 and 32 or something like that. Behold, they say, I will make a new covenant, even though it was a husband unto them, Yahweh says. Now, Yahshua is also our husband. So if Yahshua is a husband, that makes us the bride. So there are no other husbands out there. So there's no one else that can be that male because we're all female. So the thing is, there is no one else qualified to be the lamb. There's no one else qualified to be the male. And we can go on with all those things. We know there's no one else without spot and blemish. You see, every one of these principles that are in the lamb go even deeper to the point where no one else can measure up to the reality of what those things are really about. Now, let's get, uh, we already got the lamb, we got the male. Let's get another one. Um, let's get um, uh, um, no blemish. Now, we go to John, the 19th chapter, verse 6. Let's get that first. I like getting into fulfillment first because then we can, we can ask the question. And just to show you the difference again, get John 19 and 6. John 19 and 6. Correct. When the chief priests... Therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. So in other words, just like the lamb couldn't have any fault back there in the law, when Pilate is examining the lamb Yahshua, he can't find anything wrong with him either. Now, if I would have asked you before class or before anyone explained that to you, how come Pilate couldn't find fault with, with the Messiah? And, you know, you could have said, well, he's perfect. He's without sin, you know, but your explanation would not have had the same depth or impact of the lamb back there in Egypt being without spot and blemish. Now, in the prophets, we'll get an example with... Uh, uh, let's get Daniel 6 and 4, because Daniel was uh, also examined. Daniel 6 and 4. Daniel 6 and 4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. So we have no fault in the lamb. We have no fault in Daniel concerning the kingdom. We have no fault being found with Yahshua. And they talked about Yahshua. They put on the cross, Yahshua, king of Jews, you know, on the cross. You know, it's concerning his kingdom. So they couldn't find, so now you know why they couldn't find any fault with Yahshua. Or for what reason, or for what purpose. You know, when you come down here, you're going to find out the reason, the cause, and the purpose for everything Yahshua did. Now, the whole assembly, let's get Luke 23 and 1. Luke 23 and 1. Mm -hmm. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying, that he himself is the Messiah, a king. And so the whole assembly brought Yahshua up and accused him. 
just like the whole assembly had to offer up the lamb back there. Because remember, they had a choice between Barabbas and Yahshua. And what did the whole assembly cry out? We want Barabbas, right? Crucify Yahshua, crucify Yahshua. So the whole assembly offered him up. Now you get in the prophets, the Psalms 22 and 16. What do you have here? Psalms 22 and 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And the assembly of the wicked enclosed me. It should be something like that. Yeah. I'll so start. we have the assembly of wicked enclosing him, and they pierced his hands and feet. Then they pierced Yashua's hands and feet. Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, and and he's uh, blood on the door. Let's get blood on the door. Now we show how we had lamb's blood on the two side posts, the upper posts, and there's a basin of blood at the bottom of the door where they dipped the hyssop in back at the time of Moses. Now get John 10 and 9. And here, here's, the, here's the cool thing about John 10 and 9. There are Bibles being printed today, newer Bibles, that they take some of these things out of there because they have no idea why these things are being said. So they change them because they don't have any understanding of why Yash was saying what he says because they don't know the reason, the cause for what he's saying. They take it out of there and they put some other thing in there which causes a total misunderstanding of what really Yash was doing. He's fulfilling what's written in the law and the prophets. Um, go ahead and read what you have in John. John 10 and 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. See, now I would have thought, well, Yahshua the door, because if you believe in me, you're saved. I would have never told you that Yahshua's the door, because the door back at the time of Egypt had lamb's blood on it. They had to put lamb's blood around that door. And if you didn't have blood on the door, you had no you would have been toast by that death angel that was passed over the land of Egypt. Now, now we read in the prophets, um, Amos 9 and 1. Amos 9 and 1. I saw Yahweh standing upon the altar, and he said, Smite the lintel of the door, that the posts may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them and I will slay the last of them with the sword. So here we saw Yahweh standing, uh, standing upon, uh, say that again. I saw Yahweh standing upon the altar. And smite the lintel of the door. Now the name Yahshua means that Yahweh is salvation. So here's Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh standing on the altar of the cross and smite the lintel of the door that the post may shake. Just like you had to put blood on the two side posts of the door, you had those nails put in Yahshua's hands, one on the left side, one on the right side. Then you're supposed to smite the lintel or the top of the door, and they put that crown of thorns on his head, and they beat it down with reeds, causing a point of lamb's blood to be at the head and the two sides. And then you also have the nails going through the hands and feet, four points of blood around the door. And Yahshua said he was the door. He also was the lamb. It's also his precious blood. <clears throat> He's also the one being offered up with the whole assembly. He's also the one that has no blemish. He's also the one that's the son or the male. He, he's the whole thing. 
nothing else measures up. Nothing else even comes close to the reality of what Yasuo is. Now, um, let's get no broken bones. Because um, we can do a lot, but we're going to get John 19 and 32. John 19 and 32. Mm -hmm. Then come the soldiers and break the legs of the first and the other, which were crucified with him. But when they came to Yahshua and they saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. Now, why did they break Yahshua's legs? If you would ask me before I declare, because the Roman centurion said he was already dead. But here, let me ask you this one. If your superior officer tells you to do something in the military, you do it. You don't, you don't change deviation from the course because your superior officer could come along later and say, didn't I tell you to break his legs? How come his legs aren't broken? You know what I mean? They could throw that one right at him for disobeying an order. But what happens, they break the legs on the one on the cross first. And then they, when they broke the legs of the other one, but when it comes to Yahshua, something changed that Roman soldier's mind to not break his legs. Why couldn't he break his legs? Because no bones of the lamb back in the law could be broken. So I'm telling you for what reason or what cause or what purpose that Roman could not, absolutely no way, no how, could have broken Yahshua's legs because if Yahshua's legs were broken, he's not the one. He's not the lamb. He's not the one that is the savior of the world, which no one else. You see what I'm trying to say is that this witness searched the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. I have greater witness than that of John. I have greater, I don't receive a testimony for the works which the Father has given me to finish. Those works, that getting on the cross, not having my legs broken, being pierced in the side, all these things are things that he had to finish that were works from his father. See, that's incredible. You know, and, and then we, we look at, when I read the Bible, just to show you that this is just one example of, of some stuff that points out Yahshua. And we could get many, many more. But I want to show you another example of how the law and prophets and the reason why Yahshua did something will be different than what I thought. And when we're talking about Yahshua's baptism. Now, if we go to Yahshua's baptism, um, when he comes to John, and, and I'm just going to show you what we read in the Bible. We think because Jesus was baptized, that's why we get baptized. Just like when Yahshua got on the cross. Do we get on the cross? <laughs> when, when Yahshua was was uh, had a crown of thorns. Do we get a crown of thorns? No. When he turned water into wine, did we turn water into wine? You wouldn't even know how to do that. <laughs> did you walk on water? You no. Could you call somebody out of tomb who's been dead for four days? No. You don't have the ability to fulfill or even think about doing some of the things he did. And we think that Jesus came to institute that stuff well, you couldn't really, in reality, do the things he was doing. Now, let's get the baptism, just to show you what I'm talking about. Matthew, Matthew 3, 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, 
whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, mm -hmm. baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, mm -hmm. whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but okay. burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, he says, uh, when he says, suffer to be so now. Uh, 15. And Yahshua answering said unto him, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And the reason he's saying that is at the time of John the Baptist, he was a burning, shining light, just like it said in the scripture reading. Um, and we were willing to, for a season, to rejoice in his light. He was baptizing people on the repentance. And when he, and he asked Yahshua, Yahshua, have you sinned? Well, Yahshua, no, he, there's no fault in him. He didn't sin. So that's why John said, then I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And now Yahshua says, suffer to be so now, for thus it becometh up to set for becometh uh becometh us to start water baptism. Is that what he says? Five minutes. He says no to fill all righteousness. Fulfill all righteousness. Now, just to show you that there's something else going on here, John the Baptist now is a Levite. And a Levite had to be the one that washes. The high priest. So whenever there was a high priest at the time of of the of the uh, of the um, back there at the time of Moses and that, a high priest had to serve in ministry. Let's get Luke just to show you what I'm talking. Get Luke three twenty three. Get that for me, please. Luke three twenty three. Mm -hmm. As it is written in the law of Yahweh, every male that openeth the womb shall be called uh, Luke 323 that's what it says it should say I'm sorry I was 223 suppose and Yahshua himself began to be about 30 years of age now this is at the time of the baptism and Yahshua was supposed to be about 30 years of age now if I asked you why was Yahshua 30 years of age when he went to the baptism I was like a baby when I was baptized in the Catholic Church and, you know, they never set any kind of age precedence on me. So if Yahshua is instituting water baptism, should we all get baptized at the age of 30? See, we kind of pick and choose our way around things because we don't have any idea of what Yahshua is really doing. Yahshua is being baptized to begin his ministry at the age of 30. Why? Because the high priest, back in the law, in Genesis 41 and 46, what does it say in Genesis? I don't, I don't want that one. Uh, that, that is talking. Let me just throw this one out. It's numbers. I think it's numbers four and 30 where the high priest had to serve in the ministry from age 30 to 50. So in other words, the priest had to serve starting at the age of 30. Now, when we go back to the law also in Genesis 41 and 46, let's get that real quick. And then I also want 2 Samuel 5 and 4. And this is significance, because I'm telling you why Yahshua was 30. I'm telling you the reason, I'm telling you the cause, and I'm telling you the purpose. Just like I told you why he's the lamb and all that other stuff. We're going to tell you what's going on here at the baptism, just to show you the difference of what we believe and what really is the truth. Go ahead and read, please. 
Genesis 41, 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And Joseph. Now, why went, is that significant? Keep reading. And Joseph. Is that why you called them Zaphath and Anne? Uh, it's up on 45. You want that? Okay, read 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, Zaphnaphaniah, and he gave him to, to wife, Astenikia. Okay, now, now what's going on here? Joseph interpreted dreams, seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And mm -hmm. at this time that he did that, Joseph was given a new name. He was given a name of Zaphnaphaniah. Now, if you look up on a Young's concordance, and I'm telling you the exact concordance to use, the word Zathpathanea means savior of the world. Now, Joseph was named savior of the world at the age of 30. We just read that in the law. The high priest had to begin his ministry at the age of 30. That's in the law. Now we'll go to the prophets, because Yahshua has his kingship coming from Daniel. Let's get uh, 2 Samuel 5 and 4. 2 Samuel 5 and 4. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. So we have David, and Yahshua's from the line of David, if you follow the lineage down, began to reign at the age of 30. So you have the Savior of the world began at the, uh, called at the age of 30. The high priest begins his ministry at the age of 30. Daniel begins the, his reign at the age of 30. Yahshua comes to his baptism to start his minister, ministry to be baptized of a Levite, just like it is in the law, at the age of 30. And here we are thinking we have to get wet because we have no idea what that's talking about. And not only that, he's fulfilling the pattern. He's the sacrifice or the ones to die. And he has to be buried in that water or you have him being the blood put in that water, and then he resurrects and goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Why? Because the pattern is death, burial, resurrection, glorification. The pattern is blood, put in the water, the spear descended on like a holy dove, and he goes in the wilderness. You see what I mean? We don't know what Yahshua's really doing, and we can read the Bible. You can read that red print, and you can think you know what it's talking about. Until Yahshua opens your understanding, you will miss it every time. And you read our textbook, volume six, page, uh, volume one, page six, step four. It says, we must remember that without a correct understanding, interpretation of what written in the law and prophets, it's impossible to know anything about Yahweh and Yahshua. Now, I hope somebody got something out of it. I hope it made a little bit of sense and it caused you just to sit back and think of the difference of what you're getting in these classes and what you've got in the world. Just please give us a chance. We have so much to say and so much to share. And we pray that it edifies you like it edified us. And all praise and glory go to Yahshua. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our second speaker this evening will please be Dr. Dennis Volpe, Dean of the Oceanside California Branch School. I want to say good evening to everyone. And I wanted to say that if you were paying attention to the first speaker uh, and you just caught one thing that he said, 
that you're head and shoulders over the whole world because these things are not common knowledge in the world. And he gave you uh, a sufficient amount of examples or witnesses to validate that Yahshua was the one that the scriptures were prophesying about. Now, I'm going to try to just work off of what he started, but since I have the time, I'm going to take you back to the beginning. Now, for those of you that are trying to ascertain the uh, really what this teaching is all about and uh, the seriousness of it and reality of it, one of the things that our founder, who had a divine vision and revelation in the year of 1931, direct from the Creator, he asked us not to believe him, but to make him prove it to our satisfaction. Now, what he told us was, because it's common in the world that the world believes, and the Christian world and Judaism, I can't speak for Islam on this, but I'm sure that they are of the same belief because they have actually sprung out of both Christianity and Judaism, uh, that there is a trinity or a triune existence of God. Uh, the Father, uh, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And, of course, the Father is an anthropomorphic being, a man-like shape, uh, as it was portrayed uh, uh, artistically uh, during the Middle Ages by Michelangelo on the Sistine Chapel of God reaching out the Father reaching out to Adam. And uh, then, of course, people believe that Jesus Christ is the Son and that the Holy Ghost is a dove-type creature. And, of course, they believe that there are three separate individual, if you will, entities of what they call the Trinity, but they're all one God and they can't reconcile that, so they say that it's a supernatural mystery. Now, what our founder came to realize is that was completely inaccurate. This is what was revealed to him. Yahweh, the Father, is portrayed on the chart that's up in front of you as that cloud that you see painted all around the chart and also on top of Mount Sinai there. Now, Yahweh's not a cloud, but what our founder came to uh, uh, understand was that Yahweh exist in a state that is inscrutable and incomprehensible to the natural man's mind. And that, that in that state, he does not have describable shape and form that you can paint on a, on a piece of canvas or that you can put on the Sistine Chapel or that you can even describe to anybody. Yahweh in that state is not only inscrutable and incomprehensible, he is the all in all, which means he is the sum total of all existence. And that in that state, he is also the source and substance of everything that would come forth in what we call creation. And that everything is created from his substance, which is spirit. Now let's go over to John for a minute, 4.23 and 24. John 4.23 But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now listen, here's Yahshua the Messiah speaking to a Samaritan woman at the well, and he tells her 
uh, that uh, that Yahweh wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Keep reading. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Yahweh is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, when he said that Yahweh is spirit, there is something you have never heard anybody in any religion that I've investigated, and if you know of one, I would certainly wish that you would pass it on to me, that has a description of what spirit is, that can explain to you what spirit is. Yahweh exists in, a, in what we call a state known as pure spirit. He is pure spirit. And as I told you, he does not have an anthropomorphic or man-like shape. He is pure principle. And he is comprised of nine fundamental attributes that these principles are what really spirit is. Yahweh is knowledge. He doesn't have knowledge. He's the very substance that we call knowledge. He is wisdom. He is love. He is power. He is strength. He is justice. He is foundation and beauty. Those attributes are def defining the principle of what spirit is. And in that state, you cannot comprehend infinite knowledge or wisdom or any of those attributes therefore it would be impossible for you to comprehend and understand him as he actually is and truthfully exists which is the first aim of our school now knowing that what Yahweh elected to do right within himself he masterminded as our founder used to say or foreordained a entire purpose and plan in which he was going to bring about offspring, creatures that he would create, and make himself known to them in part. Because the totality of Yahweh cannot be grasped by any creature. So he's going to, if you will, reveal aspects of himself in part that we are able then to understand. So what he did is he took on a lesser state of himself right within himself that is painted on this chart uh, that you look at here on your screen up there on the top of Mount Sinai to the left you see there's Moses there laying in the cloud and all of a sudden you see a vision there uh, it's labeled Elohim that's at the top of that mountain there now that form of Elohim was seen by Moses and 70 elders in Nadab and Abihu when they went up into the mountain. That form is Yahweh taking on a lesser state. And in that state, he condensed or focalized his attributes to a lesser degree that would work through that embodiment. And that embodiment was an embodiment that he would speak to and communicate with and appear to men throughout the Bible. That form was known as Yahweh Elohim, or Yahweh Elohim. Now, when you read in your Bible, when you read in the King James or the English Bible, it says the Lord God. That's not what was in the original scriptures. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, it does not say the Lord God. What it says is Yahweh and the word Elohim, which is a title, not a name. 
but it's the title that Yahweh chose for himself. Now, whenever you read the Lord God, that is a reference to Yahweh, the Father, pure spirit, manifesting himself through that embodiment that we call God or Elohim. And he appeared to many men in visions and revelations. Later, he took on shape and form as a physical man. So we're going to talk about that for a minute. Let's go over and get uh, John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Yahweh, and the Word was Yahweh. All right, now listen. He said, in the beginning was the Word. Now, many Christians believe that the Word is actually the physical book that we call the Bible. And many of them talk about preaching the Word to us, and they hold up their Bible. Now, in the Bible, it talks about, in many places, down through what you call the Old Testament, how that the Word appeared to various men. Abraham appeared to the prophets, appeared to Moses. That Word is a reference to that visionary embodiment that they saw on top of Mount Sinai. Now, what Paul said, I mean, when John writes, in the beginning was the Word. Now, here's what you're going to have to do is reconcile something in your Bible. In Genesis 1.1, it reads that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say anything about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Yahweh, and the Word was Yahweh, which is what Mike just read. It talks about God beginning to create what we call the physical creation. Now, let me say this about that. Our founder used to read both of those two things, that in King James, it will say, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Yahweh, and the Word was Yahweh, but it doesn't say anything about him creating. Not in that, not in that verse. Now, he would then go back over to Genesis 1-1, where it talked about, in the beginning was uh, the God began, or God created the heavens and the earth. So he would ask us, which one is the right or true beginning? And of course, we didn't know how to reconcile that. Now, you'd be amazed at how many times we have gone to ministers, priests, rabbis, and talked to them about these things and asked these questions. And none of them were able to answer it. Which one is the beginning? Now, here's what our founder explained to us. What happened is that Moses was called up on that Mount Sinai there where you see painted there in the plateau area of that mountain, all the people looking up and seeing Elohim there at the top. And then Moses was told to come up to the top. And there he had a panoramic vision. And he was in the mountain receiving this vision for 40 days and 40 nights. And in that vision, God showed him, I'm using God for the time being to make my point. God showed him a structure he wanted him to build, which was called a tabernacle. And he showed him that, and it was 33 days of the 40 days he was being instructed on how to make that tabernacle. Seven of the 40 days... Were, uh, uh, God was showing Moses how he created the creation. Now, 
uh, would you for a minute, please, one of my readers, go to Genesis 1-1 and read the top caption or the title that it says above the first chapter of Genesis. Genesis 1-1. Um, the first book of Moses. All right. Now, it says the first book of Moses, and then in my Bible it says called Genesis. Now, listen. How does Moses write the book of Genesis that happened thousands of years before he was even born? Now, many rabbis have, have, have actually uh, postulated, theorized, that Genesis was a book of fables that were handed down like campfire stories down through the ages, and Moses was the one that finally penned those, or in other words, had those written uh, on a parchment as a recording of how God created the earth based on fables. Well, that is not true. In fact, I heard an ordained minister that was a professor at a, at a divinity school who came and gave a lecture one time at one of our conventions and talked about how Genesis was campfire stories. He actually used that term. Now, what I want you to know is when Yahweh Elohim called Moses up to the top of that mountain, he showed him in a vision how he brought into existence the physical creation. And Moses was told to record everything that Yahweh Elohim showed him in a book. Now, he wrote the book of Genesis, and the book of Genesis came right out of the 24th chapter of Exodus. I think it was around verse 16, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody get that. Twenty-four. I want where it says, in six days, the... Twenty-four and sixteen. All right, thank you. And the glory of Yahweh abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. Insert Genesis 1 here. All right. Now listen, uh, uh, Callie, where you were just reading where it says the cloud covered it six days, is there any punctuation after the word six? Six days there is a colon. Now there's a colon. Callie, what does that typically mean if there's a colon after a word? That there should be a meaning or a description after that. Thank you. That there's going to be a description, in some cases a listing. Now, there is no description or listing of what happened during those six days there. What happened is the book of Genesis could be, the first chapter of Genesis could be put right into that spot right there in the book of Exodus. But it was taken out and put into a separate book where the entire uh, occurrences that happened down through the book of Genesis were recorded that, that happened previous to Moses coming up out of the land of Egypt and then coming to Mount Sinai. So he's recording history that occurred over some 2,500 years. And that's where it all should be put right in that spot in Exodus 24 there. But Moses wrote that book based on a vision that was shown to him on top of Mount Sinai. Now, why is that significant? Because when Moses wrote in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What that was talking about was 
in the beginning of his vision. That is not the beginning of the purpose. When Yahweh masterminded and, and formulated an entire purpose and plan that he would bring into actualization or into effect, and that everything that would happen from the beginning of the purpose was already foreordained right to the end. Somebody get me Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Isaiah 46 and 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am Yahweh and there is none else. I am Yahweh and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now, thank you, Karen. Now, what we've got there, we've got Yahweh Elohim making a statement here that the end has been declared right from the beginning and that it's going to happen according to his counsel. Now, if you look up the word counsel in Strong's Concordance, you're going to find out that the meaning of that term there is purpose. Now, Yahweh's Yahweh formulated an entire purpose and plan of how he was going to bring about existence and then what purpose for which he created everything, why he brought it into existence. And he would unfold that down through seven ages and seven dispensations, which I'm, I'm not going to talk about extensively tonight. Now, what I want you to understand is this, that the beginning is when he took on shape and form as that Eloistic embodiment that appeared to Moses and the prophets that is called the Word. So in John 1, 1, when it read, in the beginning was the Word, that is the beginning of the purpose, which precedes the creation of both the angelic realm and the physical realm. Now, here's what happens. Once he takes on that shape and form, what he does from that point is he begins to execute that purpose that he had already formulated or that plan. Now, what I want you to know is, let's say, for an example, you decide within yourself, I want to build a house on a nice piece of land. Now, what you do is you figure out, well, what, where, what, you know, what piece of land am I, what kind of piece of land do I want to build it on? Then you have to make a blueprint and submit plans to build something in most places uh, especially in this country, you don't just go building something without it being approved. So that everything you're going to do then, how the water is going to be brought into your home down on that land and the sewage and then the foundation of the home and then the construction of it with size, everything is already foreordained. It's set up by a pattern or a blueprint. And then all you do is when you start the project, you carry it out until completion. Now, the end, after it's all said and done, everything you put in that blueprint, everything you stated you want to do is exactly what's going what's to gonna appear down there at the end. Now, Yahweh 
His desire was to make himself known to his creatures. And he set up a purpose and plan of how he would do that. Now what he did when he took on that shape and form as Elohim, he operated, I'll use this term, in, in, he was, uh, what's the term uh, when, when somebody is working covertly and they're not, uh, uh, nobody knows yet what they're doing or why they're doing it until the thing is now completed. Well, your creator for 4,000 years was setting up everything down through the Old Testament that was going to, and, and, and nobody knew this, uh, Moses didn't know it, Abraham, Isaiah, Jeremiah, none of the prophets knew that he was setting up everything for later on he would accomplish everything. And that's where I want you to go back to John 1.1, 1, 1, read it again, and then I want you to skip to John 1.14. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Yahweh, and the Word was Yahweh. Now, this Word was with Yahweh. In other words, as you can see, that form of Elohim is within the cloud, which means that Yahweh is able to transmute into a, uh, a, a form right within himself and then function through that form. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with Yahweh, and the Word was Yahweh. Now read 114. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That self-same Word that we call Elohim then transmuted further into a physical body and walked in that body, and I'll use the term covertly. Nobody knew that that was Elohim. In fact, Paul writes later that if they had known who he was, they never would have crucified him. Now, what I want you to know, though, is his, his purpose was to come on down first into a lesser state of himself as an incorporeal being, super-incorporeal being, which was then uh, uh, the creator of both the angelic creation, which is a realm beyond the physical, and then further to step down even further and come into a physical embodiment to complete or accomplish his purpose. Now, I want to go back over to John for a minute, uh, where Andy was, and I'm going to reiterate some of the things that he said. I want to go to John, our scripture in the fifth chapter. Let's go ahead and start at, at uh, 30 there again, and we're going to read down a little bit. And I'm going to try to hone in on and focus on Yahshua the Messiah and try to connect that to what you have in the Old Testament. Now, Andy gave you the groundwork, and I'm just going to take a little bit more uh, explanation and hope that this really will hit home with you. Read. And 5 and 30. I can of my own self do nothing. Now, who's speaking I... here? Who's this speaking? Yahshua. This is Yahshua speaking. And he said, now listen, this is the creator now in a body. He says, I can of my own self do nothing. Read. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Read. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father, which now, is Now, what I want me. you to know is that both Elohim and Yahshua are one and the same. And their purpose is to do the will of the Father, which is Yahweh pure spirit, which happens to be in them as well. So he is following the, uh, uh, if you will, plan that Yahweh has set up, 
and he will be obedient and do everything that the Father sent him in the world to do. So he's saying he can't do anything of himself. Keep reading. 31, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is nothing. All right, listen. He said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, I got news for you. When the Jehovah Witnesses ring your doorbell, when the Mormons ring your doorbell, and we had, I remember when I lived in Wisconsin, we had local church people there from other religions that also went around ringing doorbells trying to get you to come down to their church, and they call that witnessing. Now, what they do is they stop you. I've been stopped in airports, for crying out loud, in O'Hare International Airport in Chicago many years ago, and they started to try to preach to me or tell me uh, what was in the Bible. Now, what I want you to know is that Yahshua said that if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In other words, he's saying this, just because I say that I'm the Messiah, that I was sent by the Father, that doesn't prove or make it true. Keep reading. 32, there is another that bears witness of me, and I know that witness which he witnesses of me is true. You sent unto John, and he bears witness unto the truth. Now, John the Baptist, John the Baptist actually... Uh, baptized him, when he baptized him, did not know that he was the Messiah. He knew that that was his cousin, but he didn't know that he was the Messiah. He didn't know until after he saw the sign that Yahweh Elohim told him that he would see the Spirit descend upon him. And that happened after the baptism. But the next day, you read over there in John one twenty nine, he saw Yahshua coming, after uh, 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 next day of an event, and he says, he declared, he said, Behold the Lamb of Yahweh that cometh to take away the sins of the world. Now John the Baptist called him the Lamb, and, and, and Andy got up here and ran some of those things for you, uh, because in our scripture reading, it talks about how Moses wrote of him, and if you ask a minister, well, where did Moses write about Jesus? I've never heard any of them explain that. Well, Moses didn't write, per se, about Jesus. He wrote about a lamb back there. And and Andy already kind of went through a lot of this stuff, so I'm not going to take the time. But the point is, those things were all typifying. They were pointing out, pointing to the Messiah. Yahweh Elohim, who worked covertly down through 4,000 years of history, doing things, having, uh, making uh, 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 prophecies and statements and having events occur, and nobody back then understood what the real purpose of all that was. Later, we understand now that the purpose was that he was setting up examples, types and shadows, and aspects of creation that bear witness of who the true Messiah would be once he came into the world. Now, Yahshua, truthfully, is the only man that has ever lived that had his whole biography written before he was even born. So that everything that Yahshua did was already laid down or discussed or talked about or prophesied about 
right back in the writings of what you call the Old Testament. So everything Yahshua did was a fulfillment of scriptures. And we'll get to that in a minute. So keep reading. 34. But I receive not testimony from man. But these things I say that you might be saved. Now he said he doesn't receive testimony of man. So when you have people ringing your doorbell testifying of you, guess what? It ain't worth a hill of beans. Them telling you that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and because you don't accept what they're saying, they'll go back and say, well, that person's going to hell. I just witnessed to them. Your witness doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Be and you're going to find out why. He says he has greater witness than that. Read. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. Now, John but the Baptist had the Holy Spirit. He was a burning and shining light that witnessed and said that Yahshua was the Lamb that came to take away the sins of the world. Read. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me. Now he that said that he came in to finish something. Something he, he didn't come to start anything. He came to finish things, ladies and gentlemen. Those are two opposite things. Because we're taught in Christianity that Christ came in to institute, which means to set up, start, or begin, a Christian form of, of religion. And they even got you thinking that when he was born, that that was the beginning of Christianity. And that is completely wrong. Yahshua was born as a Jew from the tribe of Judah. And he was practicing the covenant that was given to Moses back at Mount Sinai. He was having Passover supper every year. He was circumcised when he was eight days old. All the things he did, even with his apostles, which you call the Last Supper, was already set up back there in the Old Testament, in the Law and the Prophets, by the order of Yahweh Elohim himself, that would come to be a point of witness to Yahshua when he came in to fulfill, as he says, he came to fulfill or finish what was written in the Law and the Prophets. So during his time of ministry... He wasn't instituting water baptism. He wasn't instituting having suppers or communion, as they call it in the church. He was fulfilling or ending those practices because there was something prophesied back in the Bible that was far greater that would come into effect after his death, burial, resurrection. Now, that is because we read, he told the woman there at the well that Yahweh, who is spirit, wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Nobody was washing, or, or I mean, uh, nobody was uh, uh, worshipping Yahweh in spirit and in truth when Yahshua was walking around. Number one, they didn't know the truth. Number two, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Now, the truth is that Yahshua was preparing them for the coming of what is referred to as the kingdom. He had his apostles go out in the 10th chapter of Matthew and preach to the people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now we come to learn now after the day of Pentecost, which was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that was prophesied about in the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, 
that he would start a new covenant. He was going to bring in a new covenant, a new agreement that was not according to the one that they had at Mount Sinai, which nobody could keep. And in Ezekiel, he said he would put his spirit in us and that he would give us a new heart. Now, that happened on the day of Pentecost. That was the beginning of a new era of worship, a new age of worship. And the Holy Spirit now is the one that would cause people to understand that those allegories, types, shadows, and manifestations that people practice as forms of righteousness back there from Moses on down were only an example. They were not the reality of true righteousness. The kingdom, Paul writes after the day of Pentecost, when Paul the Apostle received the Holy Spirit, he said the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, or in Yahshua. And that spirit wasn't given till the day of Pentecost. So when Yahshua told the apostles to go out and preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was referring to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now that's another lecture in itself. Now, keep reading, please. I'll read 36 again. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. Go ahead. And the Father himself, which has sent me, has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Now, and he's you telling them, you people have not had, and he's talking to all the Jews there, and the scribes and the Pharisees are there too. He said, you've never heard his voice nor seen his shape. Read. And you have not his word abiding in you. Now, in other words, you don't have his word abiding in you, and he could say that for this reason. They knew the scriptures. They could quote them, but that's not the word. The word is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was standing there talking to them, and it was not poured out at that point to anybody else in the earth plane. Nobody else had it. He's the only one that had the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he could make that statement that his word is not abiding in you. Read. He has not his, and you have not his word abiding in you, for whom he has sent him you believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now listen, listen, what she just read is vitally important. I remember one time that I was stopped, as I told you, in an airport. And this fellow, very uh, nice fellow, came up and was wanted to talk to me about Jesus. And he had a little Bible that at that time used to be called Good News for Modern Man. It was the New Testament with the book of Psalms, and that was it. So I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? And he said, sure. I said, could I see that book? And he handed me his book. I went to this very scripture. And I said, now here, he, the Messiah is saying, search the scriptures. I held up that book. I said, is this what he's talking about? Is he talking about this New Testament here book? Oh, yes, he said. Yeah, that's what he's talking about. I said, well, that's interesting because, first of all, he was speaking to Jews back then. Second of all, the New Testament wasn't even written then and wouldn't be written for 40 to 50 years later. So how could he be talking about the New Testament? Here he said, search the scripture. Read that. Go ahead, read that scripture again, Callie. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, 
and they are they which testify of me. Now listen, they searched the scriptures daily. And they thought they had eternal life, but they didn't realize that all the scriptures were testifying or giving witness to him. But here's why they didn't understand that. Those witnesses that tell you who he is were hidden in allegories and types and shadows only could be understood by the Holy Spirit revealing to you the purpose of why those things happened and what they were pointing to. And nobody had a revelation of what those scriptures really were all about, including Paul the Apostle. So he told them, you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Keep reading. 40. And you will not come to me that you might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that you have not the love of Yahweh in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. Now, the Father's name was Yahweh. It wasn't Lord. It wasn't Be uh, 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 Adonai, which is what the Jews call him now, which is a Hebrew, or it's a, actually it's from Phoenician uh, 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 origins. But anyhow, Adonai means Lord. That's not what was written in the original scriptures. There was no word Lord or, or, or Adonai that Yahweh directed any of the prophets to write. They substituted and changed the name Yahweh in the Bible. The Jews did this. 300 years before the Messiah was born, they substituted it for that word. The name Yahweh, they were told to say Adonai. And then they wrote a Greek version called the Septuagint, where they actually used the Greek word for Lord, which is Kiros. It was not in the original Bible, because Yahweh, when he gave his name, told Moses, this is my name forever, and a memorial unto all generations. Memorial means to be remembered. And when he gave the commandment, thou shalt not take the name of Yahweh, thy Elohim, in vain, the word vain means to bring to naught or make it of no importance. Now when the Messiah came in, he said, I have come in my father's name. He said, my father, now listen, his father's name was Yahweh, which means he who causes to exist. His name was Yahshua. Yah is a shortened form of the name Yahweh, and Shua is a short form of a Hebrew word, Yeshua, which means salvation. So the name Yahshua means Yahweh is salvation. Now, well, listen, Elohim simply set up all of those witnesses down through the Old Testament himself. He's the one that said all those things you read about in the Old Testament, and he's the one that made it rain at Noah's flood. He's the one that called the children of Israel up out of Egypt and let them out of there. He's the one that said to take a lamb out. None of them knew why he was telling them to do that. But Elohim was setting up his own witnesses so that when he came in to a physical body, that they would then be able to refer right back to what was set up through thousands of years and recognize that those things were pointing to that body being the place where Elohim was walking amongst them. And here, Paul the Apostle, who was a Pharisee, who used to study the scriptures, morning, noon, and night, was raised from a young child in the scriptures, read those things, knew the, quote, the scriptures backwards and forwards, and never knew how they pointed to Yahshua the Messiah or the Savior, until he was caught up and given a vision and then a revelation. Now, keep reading. 
I am come in my father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. Now listen, people receive Jesus in a minute. And yet there was no letter J in the Hebrew, Latin, or Greek languages when the Messiah lived on uh, uh, back there 2,000 years ago. That nobody ever called him Jesus. That name came about through mistransliteration after mistransliteration from the actual Hebrew name of Yahshua. Read. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from Yahweh only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Now, Yahshua said that Moses wrote of him. Now, when the Messiah told them to search the scriptures, in other words, he was telling them, if you want to know why I do what I do or what I say, all you got to do is go back and see what the scriptures are saying and see that what I'm doing is exactly what it's talking about there in the scriptures. And so what I want you to realize is, is that it's important for us to know, the, uh, to go back and examine how that the things that the Messiah did and why he did them, and Andy gave you a bevy of things to try to show you, and we have many more than that. Andy just took the time, a little bit of time that he had, and showed you some examples of Yahshua fulfilling the scriptures that were written before he was even born into the, uh, through the loins of the Virgin Mary. But yet, it's all pointing to him from, from all the way down from Genesis down to Malachi. It's all pointing out Yahshua the Messiah, every aspect. And even up to the time of John the Baptist, who was the last prophet to prophesy under the Mosaic Law. Now, what I want you to know is, you don't have to believe that Yahshua was the Messiah. All you have to do is see the witnesses pointing to him, and you'll recognize thousands of years prior to his birth, and here everything he's doing is laid down in the scriptures, and this man, obviously, he's the only one that really understood what those things were about, and once you catch on to what he did was set up according to the scriptures, and once you learn about how the purpose worked, you'll have no other uh, uh, choice to make but that Yahshua truly was the real Messiah that came in. Now, he went through a death, burial, resurrection, so he has to show that principle somewhere in the Law and the Prophets. Now, that lamb down there in Egypt, when they were down in the land of Egypt, because Moses wrote of him, Yahweh referred to Moses to go down to uh, Pharaoh and commanded him to tell Pharaoh to let Israel, and he called Israel his son, let my son go, that they may worship me here at the mountain. And he called them his firstborn son. Now, what we're going to find out is that Israel was put down into the land of Egypt and became enslaved down there because Yahweh caused a famine to occur hundreds of years previous. And Joseph, who was a son of Israel, had been sold into slavery down there in the land of Egypt or bondage and then later interpreted the dream of Pharaoh and told him there would be uh, seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And Pharaoh recognized his wisdom and made him second to him uh, in the land, as it was discussed here uh, by Andy. 
and all of the people up there that were in the land of Canaan that were the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had to come down and live, into e live in Egypt uh, in order to have food. Now here's the thing about it. Yahweh orchestrated that according to the purpose. Why? Because he has to set it up that they're down there in a land that is not their own land and that he has to deliver them from that, that, that slavery and that state where they are dying for Pharaoh. And so what he does is he calls the whole nation, he calls the whole nation as one son. Now if you remember when Joshua was born, Herod was killing all of the male babies because he heard that a king was going to be born and he didn't want them threatening his kingship because he was the king of the Jews then. And what happened is Joseph and Mary had to escape and go down into the land of Egypt with him. And after a certain amount of time, Yahweh brought them up out of the land of Egypt back to where they lived in Galilee there at Nazareth. Now that's in fulfillment of the scriptures because Yahweh put the Israelites' son down into captivity, then brought him out, brought them out back to the place where they started, and the same thing has to happen with Yahshua in the fulfillment. Now, what happened was Yahweh was going to send a death angel over the land that was going to kill all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, whether it was cattle or whether it was man, humans. If you were firstborn, you were toast. So what happened was Yahweh told Moses there's a way for these people because the whole nation was his firstborn son. He said to escape this death, they're going to have to take out a lamb out of their flocks. It's got to be male, and they got to skin the, they got to kill the lamb, skin it, and take its blood and put it around uh, the inside of their house, as 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 Andy explained this to you uh, earlier. And that lamb became their salvation, ladies and gentlemen, because they had to eat the lamb, which means the lamb had to be in them. They had they were saved by the blood of the lamb. Because the lamb around the doorpost, when the death angel came over, they saw and saw the blood in the uh, around the door. He would not slay those that were in that house. Now this is all set up by Yahweh to point to Yahshua the Messiah. John said, "Behold, the Lamb of Yahweh that cometh to take away the sin of the world." And it's by His blood, by His atonement, that you are going to be saved, and you're going to have to be a partaker of that same. Yahshua, because he told them in John the, the sixth chapter, he said, Whoever eateth of my body and drinketh of my blood shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And they were sick about that, thinking he was advocating cannibalism, which he was not. He was speaking allegorically. Later, he told his apostles, I'm not talking about my physical body. He said, The flesh profiteth nothing. He said, it's the words that I speak unto you. They are spirit and they are life. In other words, you're going to have to have that knowledge and wisdom and the, and of his words put within you in order for you to spare, be spared in the destruction of souls that would take place at, a, at the particular time when Yahweh has ended this purpose. Now, everything down in Egypt is an allegory pointing to something spiritual with Yahshua the Messiah. And that's the way it is in the whole Bible. And I could go on, but I don't have enough time to lay enough groundwork to explain some of these other stories, like Noah and the Ark. That's loaded in principles 
that will point to Yah. That ark is a figure of Yahshua the Messiah in the days of his flesh. Solomon's temple was a figure of Yahshua in his glorified state, which I can't get in and explain now. We don't have enough time. I know I only got five minutes left, so I'm, I'm acknowledging it. So I just want you to understand that the scriptures, everything in the scriptures is an expression of Yahweh's great mystery of his purpose and his plan and how Yahshua is the core, the center of it, that is the revealer of secrets, the revealer of the purpose of Yahweh and how he, you have to be a partaker of his spirit and of his word in order for you to be born again and to be acceptable to the Father and, and have everlasting life. And so uh, uh, what I want you to know is down here, uh, there is so much for us to explain, so much for us to express, and so little time to do it that it requires people to, uh, just like when you go to school, you couldn't take one lesson in mathematics and think now that, that you don't need anything out. You don't need any more than that. Gee, I know how to add and subtract now. Well, what about division and multiplication, which we use many times in the course of our lives? And then, of course, right up through to calculus, where science uses these very complex uh, uh, algorithms and, uh, and formulas to determine things of whether uh, they're are trying to postulate existence. I mean, you stop and think about it. Physicists now come up with all of these things that they think there's multiple universes. There's this, that, and the other. And they're using mathematics, which is nothing more than principles that they feel witness to what their conclusions are that they're drawing. And all we're doing is trying to show you the principles of how Yahweh actually is and truthfully exists to lead you to the conclusion of that there is a creator, number one, he actually does exist, and that he does have a purpose of why he elected to manifest himself as salvation. And that salvation is much deeper than what most people understand of what that really is all about. And we can get into those things if you return. This is a school. We're not a church. You come down here to learn something that you didn't know before. And every time you come and you hear something that resonates with you and you've learned that, we will build from piece at a time upon that where you'll start to really, really see the real picture. And as you do, Yahweh will be a reality to you. And so will that spirit that you can't see with your physical eyes, but it'll be a reality, much the same way that electricity is a reality to all of us. Be without it. If you, people would be dying by the millions if electricity all of a sudden were not available. I just dare say the majority of population of the world would perish. Now what I want you to know is that nobody's ever seen electricity. Nobody's ever seen electrons. And what I'm trying to get you to see is we know that it exists because we have the principles of how the atom works that we now are able to tap into that energy source and power everything that we use in our modern, modern lives now. It's the same thing with this gospel. You cannot see Yahweh with your natural eyes, but you can see him with your eye of understanding as you acquire knowledge of the principles that are reflecting the divine reality of spirit. I hope what I said made some sense. I hope it, 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 you know, it intrigues you. We would ask you to come back and join us again and allow us to continue your education. 
with that, I'll hand it back to the moderator. Thank you all so much for the opportunity to address you. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. Now we'll be dismissed with the doxology taken from the last two verses of the book of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Yahweh, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Let us all say, Hallelujah. 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 Love you.